0: You know, I was thinking about people. We're so much alike no matter where you find us in the world. People are people. And yet we're so different, too. It's really weird. Um, You know, like our recent trip overseas. You know, we got to learn a little bit about Israeli people, got to learn a little bit about uh, Arab people, and how these cultures interact with American people. So our Israeli tour guide, he told us this this joke. And he said, and he didn't start it off as a joke, and that even made it more funny. He asked, what's the word, what's the English word for somebody who can speak many languages? And the answer was given after somebody figured it out, multilingual. Ah, what do you call somebody who can speak two languages? Everybody knows that, bilingual. What's the word for somebody who speaks one language? And as everybody paused, he said, American. because over there they speak all sorts of languages. Bus driver spoke uh, Spanish, English, Hebrew, Arabic, some German, and that's not uncommon. I understand why we're not that way here. I mean, I met, oh, we we were so blessed so many ways. Um, There's an amazing archeological site in Israel called Gamla, very famous. And it uh, just so happened that the guy who discovered it was there the day we were there. And there was hardly anybody else there. There were two guys sitting in the picnic area, and we got to meet this guy. Our tour guide has been doing tours for 20 years. He's never met this guy. We got to meet him. So I sat down. We started chit-chatting a little bit. Told him, you know, I was from America, and I used to live in California. I live in Arizona. He wanted to know how close Tucson was from California, because I guess his son's in California or something and i said well it's like an eight-hour drive to southern california and the tour guide was like he just couldn't wrap his head around the fact that one state away you drive eight hours and you're, you're only at the edge of the state how can that possibly be that'd get you through their state their entire country easy and back some so the the I guess if you you got a tiny country and there's a bunch of different people coming and going, you got to learn multiple languages. But here, you can drive for eight hours and they still speak your language and drive for 20 hours and they still speak your language. Culture is an interesting thing. It's hard to understand it. And it's even harder to communicate it to somebody. I mean, how do I tell you that they don't believe in lines there? That sounds funny until you need help. Then what do you do? He said, you know, you, if you wait at the bus stop, you'll wait all day. When the bus comes, you better fight your way onto that bus or you're not getting on a bus. We got to McDonald's and my wife wanted to experience a McDonald's in Israel, but we forgot there were no lines. So we just stood there. Nobody cared that we stood there. I said, oh yeah, there's no lines here. So we had to kind of get up to the front. And that doesn't help too because somebody will will do this. They'll come up right next to you and speak in front of your face to the person. You really gotta be forceful. Culture is weird. It's okay in that culture, but it wasn't okay to us. But we're the visitors there. And it's hard to understand cultural peculiar. We think everybody else's weird culture is weird and ours is fine. But to us, to, to other people, some of the things we do is weird, you know? Imagine a culture where somebody can just rip gas in a public setting. Just fart right there. I know a culture like that. To us, that would be like, (laughs) Ew, that's disgusting. Don't do that here. But in their culture, it's fine. Completely acceptable. Well, the Bible is written from and in a different culture. And though we study it our entire lives, there's pieces of it that we don't fully appreciate because we're not from that culture we can understand what it's saying but we just don't get the significance the impact the force of what's going on imagine if you're standing in line at the bank and you've been waiting for 20 minutes for your turn somebody walks in the door and walks right up in front of you and the teller serves them how would you feel i don't know how i could explain that to an israeli how would you feel? What do you mean, how would I I feel? I'd never step in a line for 20 minutes. That's why you walk right to the front. That's stupid. So we know exactly how that feels. They wouldn't get it. In the same sense, there's things in the Bible that we don't really get because we don't live in that culture. So I'm going to explain some of that this evening to you, hoping you'll get it better by the way I explain it to you. Remember, Israel, during the days of Jesus, was part of the Roman Empire. So the culture of Rome significantly influenced and impacted Israel, and before that, Greek. So Israel wasn't just like exclusively Jewish. It had cosmopolitan influence, especially from Greek and Roman culture. Let me read to you a few quotes about Roman culture in the days of Jesus. Rome was a highly hierarchical and class-conscious society. Now to you, that's just knowledge. You don't know what it means to live in a class-conscious society. Maybe if you've heard a little bit about India, where somebody from a lower caste cannot climb the social ladder. If you get a job as a janitor, that's the best you can expect, no matter how brilliant you are, because that's your caste. Rome was a highly hierarchical and class-conscious society. Humility, especially in men, was not seen as a great thing. The quest for honor and praise was one of the most important forces binding society together. One of the most important forces in society was the quest for honor we don't even know what honor means to this society this kind of honor we don't get it at all but to them it was one of the most important aspects of their culture you've heard the saying saving face you know what that means that'll give you an idea of getting into that concept every social interaction was perceived as an honor challenge an honor challenge Is an occasion to accrue honor from one's social equals or superiors by performing some deed or service gift giving invitations to dinner buying and selling there could only be one winner enmity toward the winner was the inevitable result so you had to be real careful you invite your friends over for dinner they have to invite you over for dinner but they have to do better You serve them on silver, they gotta serve you on gold. You gave them roast fowl, they gotta give you roast pigeon, roast fowl, roast pork, and fish. How do you win that game? You don't. Somebody loses, somebody wins all the time. It was an insult to lose. You invite somebody over and you one-up them, you might insult them. You better not build a nicer house than somebody who's higher on the ladder than you. That could be a death sentence. We don't understand a culture like that. But that was the culture of Rome. This is the culture that dominated Israel, Israeli society. Now I'm saying is that's how all Jews were? No. But that was the predominant culture, and some of it rubbed off. Greatness and ascending the ranks was highly coveted by Romans. That was the thing. So let me give you the caste system in ancient Rome. It started with Caesar on the top. And as you know, there was only one Caesar. There was one king, one pontiff, one guy who ruled Rome. Under Caesar were the senators. Under the senators were the equestrians. Um, Equestrians were just almost equal to Senators, and Senators were almost equal to Caesar. A Senator could have become a Caesar, an Equestrian could become a Senator. A Senator, if he lost a little bit of money with a bad investment, would get bumped down to Equestrian. Under Equestrians were the common people, your average citizen. Under them were your freed people. People that were once slaves but became free, under them were the slaves. And though people might disagree with this and I might fudge on it a little, I would put children as number seven in the caste society of Rome. Why would I put them as seven? Because you could be the son of the emperor and who's gonna be teaching you your math lessons and taking you to the store and babysitting you all day? A slave, a tutor. So even though you might save the life of a child over the life of a slave and day-to-day interaction, children didn't get any respect in that sense. It It was weird, it's hard to nail it down. So understanding what the Roman culture was like helps this little story in Matthew 18 take on a whole new depth of meaning. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to be the equestrians? Who's going to be the senators? Who's going to be the common folk? Calling a little child forward, he said he had him stand among them. Then he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What? You just took the lowest of the low? Interrupted this meeting of men and used him as an object lesson saying he's superior to us? Well, these were disciples of the rabbi. They wouldn't have said that, but their minds would have been blown. What? God's way is not our way. Well, it wasn't Rome's way. We're trying to make it our way. We want to be godlike. Mark, in his gospel, adds a bit more data. Then they came to Capernaum. While Jesus was at home, he asked the disciples, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had argued with one another about who was going to be the greatest. Could you imagine Peter saying, I'm going to be a senator? John, you're going to be an equestrian. And John saying, uh-uh, I'm going to be the senator, and you're going to be the plebe. They were arguing about who's greatest. They were so off the mark from Jesus' teachings. Why did Jesus wait till he got home to raise this subject with them? Maybe he wanted to allow them to have this conversation. Let them Fully discuss it, explore it, see what comes of it. It's obvious to me that the disciples were influenced by the Roman culture. That's not the Jewish way, but they were Jews. So where'd they get that from? Not from the Bible. They got it from their culture of their day. So here they were, Jewish people living a life where they ate different foods, they couldn't associate with Gentiles, they couldn't eat with them, they wore their own type of clothing, went to the synagogue on a daily basis, and still they couldn't keep from being influenced by their culture. How about us? We're right in the middle of it, aren't we? You know, if if people go to church once a week, they consider themselves doing a great deed for their own spiritual well-being. I'm telling you, it ain't enough. Look what happened to the disciples. They were fully immersed in their culture and still Rome rubbed off on them. I'm telling you, things are rubbing off on us, and we don't even know it's rubbing off on us. Just like the disciples didn't know till Jesus said, what were you guys talking about? Oops, busted. Unless you change, he said, and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So he told his disciples they had to become like little children. So what are characteristics of little children? If we want to become like little children, what does that mean? Well, there was a couple things just in this story that jumped out at me. He said, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So obviously, humbleness, humility, is an earmark of children. Would you agree? Yeah. Children don't. Can you imagine 10 children playing together on the playground? six, seven, eight year olds and saying, oh, I don't want to play with you because your dad's a mechanic and my dad's the CEO of a company. They don't even care what their parents do. They care who's got the brightest Tonka trunk and who's willing to share. You, you know what I'm saying? Humility, they don't care. If a kid has mismatched socks, holes in their pants and an old t-shirt, the other kid's not going to treat them differently because of it. They don't care. Cool socks i try to wear mine like that. My mom wouldn't let me. They don't care, little kids. The older they get, the more they care. So humility is an aspect of being childlike. It's an aspect of greatness. Of course, humility is the opposite of arrogance. Philippians says, Do not act out of selfish ambition or conceit. But with humility, think of others as being better than yourselves. Have you ever tried to do that? Think of people as better than yourself? I'm not talking about people who it's easy to think of. You know, whatever, pick your industry and find somebody who's better in it, better musician, somebody who makes lots of money being a musician, or maybe a more famous pastor. Or maybe, you know, you work in the produce department at Fry's, but there's a guy who owns 100 Fries. Are you better than that person, or is that person better than you? Now think down the, the ladder. Maybe you own the fries, and the guy who sweeps the floor, is he better than you? Of course not. I own the store. Well, what's that have to do with being better? Would you sweep a floor? I'd never sweep a floor. Then he's better than you. <laughs> the Bible tells us to consider uh, that we should consider other people better than ourselves. I don't recommend you try to do that with people who you think are better than you. <laughs> Do that with people who you think are not and work from there. To become like little children, we must avoid arrogance. There's a pastor who gave his definition of arrogance. Let me read it for you. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. humility isn't thinking lowly of yourself. It's not even thinking about yourself. You don't come into the equation. Wow, I kind of like that. I think I've shared this story with you before. I'll share it again because it's so profound as far as I'm concerned about Abraham Lincoln. Let me just read it. Lincoln once got caught up in a situation where he wanted to please a politician. So he issued a command to transfer certain regiments. And when the Secretary of War, Edward Stanton, received the order, he refused to carry it out. He said that the president was a fool. Lincoln was told that Stanton, what Stanton had said, and here's how he replied. If Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be, for he's nearly always right. I'll see for myself. As the two men talked, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake, and without hesitation, he withdrew it. The president of the United States, during a time of war, a guy refused his order. The guy could have been executed. What does President Lincoln say? He says, this guy says I'm a fool. I must be a fool because this guy's brilliant. Wow. I love Lincoln. Brilliant man. A humble person says, I can be wrong. I can make mistakes. I can be foolish. No, Steve, that's not humble enough. I make mistakes. I'm often wrong. I'm often foolish. Saying, I can, puts it into the realm of the possibility, not the realm of the is. (laughs) Jesus said that to get into God's kingdom, we must become like children. Little children are humble. They give up arrogance. They don't have it, and we need to give it up, too. Another thing about being childlike comes from Mark 9, 35. He says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Children have no problem serving. In Rome, that was the job of the slaves. That was the low person's job. But in Jesus' kingdom, that's the high person's job. Listen, let me read to you something. When a child is small, he loves doing things for his father. Nothing is too trivial or troublesome. A little child will fetch slippers for his dad and follow him around the house. He actually takes joy in doing things for his father. He loves to serve him. But as the child grows older, he finds his own will. He no longer enjoys doing things for his dad. He'd rather do his own things. Fetching slippers soon becomes something too lowly for him to do. As he grows older still, he no longer enjoys spending time with his father as he once did. We find it a burden to do simple things for God. Just faithfully attending church becomes a burden We no longer desire to spend time with our Heavenly Fathers. We used to do. Serving Him and serving others doesn't take a priority. We have our own things to do. Unfortunately, as we progress physically, we digress spiritually. As our bodies get older, our spirits must get younger. Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So then he went on to say, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Jesus just thinks really highly of children. He's got no problem saying they represent me. If you treat them well, you treat me well. You treat them poorly, you treat me poorly. They brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them, but the disciples scolded those who brought them. When Jesus saw that, he got very angry. Wow, that might not have been a good day if you were a disciple. He got very angry and said, Let little children come to me. Do not stop them. You know, we always hear Jesus in a soft, meek, gentle way. He was chewing his disciples out. They committed a grievous error, and thank God he was there to keep it from going any further. What would have happened if he wasn't there to stop them from doing this horrible thing? I'll tell you in just a moment. He got very angry and said, Let little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to people like these. He took them up in his arms, he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. So in Matthew 18, here's what Jesus said See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you tie it to Hebrews, it makes a little more sense. The book of Hebrews says about angels that they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. So apparently, God's got little angels assigned, or angels assigned to little people. And he said, don't mess with them because they got a representative before the throne. I think that's what he's saying right there. But remember, I told you Jesus got mad at his disciples and good thing he was there to stop them from from going any farther. Listen to what he said. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. You're not going to swim much with that thing hanging around your neck. And I don't think he was exaggerating. It'd be much better to wear that as a necklace and be tossed into the ocean than to trip up a little child who's coming to Jesus. That's why he got so mad. These people almost did that. He stopped them. That word, stumble, is used throughout the Scripture. It means to offend, scandalizo, from the word scandalize, to entrap, trip up, or entice to sin. That's what stumble means. To cause a little child to stray from the Lord is a big sin. Rather than leading children from the Lord, the Lord would have the little children lead us to him. There's this cool little story I read a few years ago. It was about um, a family going to a diner. It presents itself as a true story. And the diner was packed. There was only a few chairs left at the counter. So, like, mom was on this end, one of the kids on this end, the kid on the far end with strangers in between. Food was served, and the little girl on the far end said, Mom, doesn't anybody say grace in this place? And the entire diner went still. Cook stuck his head out the window and said, We do, sister. You do it. Everybody bowed their head. And she said a child's little prayer. God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. Amen. Everybody said amen. And they ate. That wouldn't have happened if I yelled. I might have got jumped, thrown out the building. And a little child shall lead them. I'm not saying we should all become foolish and silly and lose all our education and maturity. But there are aspects of children that we need to emulate and we need to learn from. Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. I'm hoping that you will be looking at children in a whole new way from this point forward. And I'm hoping that you'll be looking at yourselves in a whole new way. Because we're always wanting to be Senators, Caesars, and Equestrians. But Jesus says you're going the wrong direction. The greatest serve all. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you you gave us the example. You came from heaven to earth to show us the way. You were born in a manger as a lowly human being as the lowliest of all human beings, as a Jewish peasant in a Roman world. And you gave your life to teaching and to healing. You allowed yourself to be rejected and ultimately crucified. You even washed your disciples' feet to show us. And yet we don't seem to learn. We want people to wash our feet. Lord, teach us what it means to be humble servants of Yours, least that we might be the greatest. Help us to love and to trust like children and to love children, even as Jesus does. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.